when I set out in this journey of 10, 10, and 10, for those who are visitors, um, our logo is 10, 10, John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. And I was trying to express in 10 sermons what it would mean to live that kind of life, um, to do not conform to the pattern of the world and to look at um, the world that the um, the people of God lived under, Pharaoh, Herod, Caesar, Nebuchadnezzar, um, I think it's an interesting place to do it on a Remembrance Day when we remember empires, when we remember world power. Brian Zand, who was here in the summer speaking to us, American speaker and author, uh, wrote a piece um, recently that started like this. I have a problem with the Bible. Let me dangle myself or Brian over the fiery pit of heresy there. I have... There's Patrick. I have a problem with the Bible. Here's my problem. I'm an ancient Egyptian. I'm a comfortable Babylonian. I'm a Roman in a villa. That's my problem, Brian goes on. See, I'm trying to read the Bible for all it's worth, but I'm not a Hebrew slave suffering in Egypt. I'm not a conquered Judean deported to Babylon. I'm not a first century Jew living under Roman occupation. I'm a citizen of a superpower. I was born among the conquerors. I live in the empire. But I want to read the Bible and think that it's talking to me. This is a problem. And though I consider that, I consider that I've probably considered that, Brian lays it out starkly for us. As we come to read our every day with Jesus or our alive to God or however we want to read our scriptures and our devotions, we read them from the wrong side of the perspective. Because we are in sense of superpower. Born among conquerors. Living in empire. But we want to read the Bible from the underside because that's how it was written. They tell us that history is written by the winners. I guess the Bible is the opposite. The Bible's written from the underbelly, from the losers, from the peasant, the poor, and indeed the one who lost his life on a cross. Very hard to get our minds. Romans 12, our minds renewed. Very hard to get our minds into what that means for us. Gary has done it wonderfully well in the Sunday nights that he's um, been in Romans. Just taking us into the culture and the streets of Rome and reminding us of the violence and reminding us of what it was like to the peacemaker, the antithesis of the world that that was. I love those books that can take you back into particularly the first century and give you a feel of what it was to be a disciple or what it was um, to be an early Christian. 
living under Caesar, Rome. But we are a superpower and we have issues. And it's not only a problem I find in my own life with how I see the Bible, it's a problem with how I live my life. Last Sunday morning and last night, we heard stories from Ugandans. They were the stories we want to hear. We've tithed our hall. We've built a school. We're sponsoring 44 children in our school. And I know many of you are sponsoring children in other schools. And look all the number of us. There's not that many of us. It's quite phenomenal. And so it's incredible when we hear Eunice and Josephine and Maggie coming and telling us that they are the alumni of Fields of Life schools. And that they were once in hopeless situations. And then suddenly a sponsor came and gave them, a, gave them a whole new life and how they're doing now in their different places of work, having graduated from one of the top universities in Africa and able to take their place in society. That's really encouraging. But the thing that challenged me most about their stories last Sunday, and particularly last night that got incredibly emotional, the thing that challenged me the most was they added on that it would be easy to miss. Josephine has brought into her home 10 homeless street kids. They live with her. Maggie is funding two of her siblings through college as she was funded through college. And last night there was more such stories. I have a friend uh, Justin Zarati, you can tell he's American. He was one of my interns. We went to South Africa one year, and before the rest of the team came in, we actually met Brent van der Linde for breakfast. Brent lived there at the time. And we brought with us a couple of guys from the church that we work in who just finished high school. And as we were walking away, Justin said to me, how are they going to get to uh, college, Steve, and I said, they're probably not, Justin, they don't have the money. And he said, I'm going to go back to Portland and I'm going to raise the money to get them through college, which Justin now does for many, many, many young people in South Africa, but also in Rwanda and in Malawi and various other places. And what these numbers of faces, which is his organization, does is that as soon as you graduate, you have to put something back into the society. And you know, until this last week, I thought that must have been part of the deal. If you're going to come and you're going to get the fees to get you through college, then you're going to have to put something back into your community. I thought that's part of the deal. I think I've learned over the last week it's not part of the deal. It doesn't have to be part of the deal because it's exactly what happens when Ugandans particularly or other Africans get the opportunity to do something. They automatically seem to do something for those who are less well off than they are. So near Arua near our school. One million people have crossed from South Sudan in the last year. The stories, if you look them up on the BBC, are ridiculous. Farmers in northern Uganda giving South Sudanese people bits of their farm. We didn't see, and I'm sure there is some kind of issues, but in the main, in the main, Uganda has become this incredibly well-known, welcoming and generous country. 
And as I wrestled with last Sunday particularly and then reinforced last night and this biblical passage and Brian Zahn's words, I suddenly realized that Maggie's not reading the Bible as an Egyptian or a comfortable Babylonian or a Roman in a villa. Josephine's not reading the Bible as an Egyptian, a comfortable Babylonian, or a Roman in a villa. They're reading the Bible as the slaves and the poor people and the peasants. And it seems because of that, easier for them to respond to Christ's call to look after others than it is for those of us who are Egyptian, comfortable Babylonians, and Romans. Why is it that after the first, the second world war, we were the nation that brought so many refugees in, but we've just voted Brexit so as we don't have any more in? What happened in between? We became comfortable Babylonians and Romans with villas. Because the more we have, the more difficult it is to bring 10 homeless kids into your house. Now we haven't. The Stockmans haven't brought 10 homeless kids into their house. So don't, don't let me, let yourself think that I'm getting at you from here. This is me talking to me. But why? Because I will assure you of something. That Josephine's house is not as good as the man's. And Josephine hasn't the money to spare that we have in the man's. And Josephine hasn't the possibilities of sharing that we've accumulated in our lives. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Reimagining what this world should be and could be in the light of the Jesus who comes to show us an alternative. The Jesus who comes to show us That who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and became humble as a servant and obedient to death, even death on a cross for others. There's the renewed mind. We don't have to imagine it incredibly. We just read Philippians chapter 2. We just read the Gospels. It's right here. But we cannot seem to be able from our Egyptian homes and our Babylonian comfort and our Roman villas to be able to get to the point where maybe, 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 maybe we would live the subversive radical nature of those words that Peter read for us earlier. Sincere love, sharing with those in need, hospitality, living in harmony with each other, willing to associate with those from a lower position, not repaying evil for evil. These are not words, they're nice words, they're lovely words, they're, 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 they, they could be warm and fuzzy words, but they are actions that not conforming to the pattern of brings into our world through the people of God. We are an empire. When the Bible is against empire from beginning to end. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, Caesar, we, the people of God, 
are always on the wrong side of power and empire. It's why if I go back a number of years and Dave was talking about the gospel according to us that some of you wouldn't remember. You'll not remember. Many of you weren't here for the series in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians Remix, Brian Walsh and Sylvia Kiesmitz, a really intriguing book where they look at Colossians chapter 1 as a subversive poem against empire, trying to get the people of God and, and Colossae at that point to see an alternative to empire. Because everywhere they went was empire. Everywhere they went they could see Caesar. He was When they went to the library he was right there as they walked underneath the door. As they lifted their spoons and forks if they were anyway worthwhile spoons and forks. He was on those. He was on their coins. Caesar was everywhere because Caesar was dominating and diluting their imaginations and telling them who was in power. And so Colossians 1, Walsh and Kismet among others say, is this poem where, where, Paul, where Paul looks at Jesus as the alternative to Caesar. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. These were things given to Caesar. For in him all things were created, all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or powers or authorities, all things were created by him and through him. These were on, inscribed in, in Caesar things around the uh, around the, the town. He is before all things, and him all things hold together. These were things that were given to Caesar that Paul is saying, no, we need to reimagine that these are the things given to Jesus. We need to realize that empire dilutes our imagination, that empire dilutes the cutting edge of our obedience and discipleship, and that it is easy to conform to the pattern of the empire rather than be transformed by the renewing of the kingdom of God and Christ the Prince of Peace who gave his life for us. So, because time is running out, let me read just a couple of things and pull this together. Kiesmatt and Walsh therefore say, is there an empire in the shadow of which we live? Are there cultural forces that seek to take our captive imaginations? Well, think about it for a moment. The average North American person is confronted every day by somewhere between five and 12,000 corporative images, all geared to shaping our consumer imagination. Whether you're running a political campaign for the highest office in the land or selling a, a, a peculiar brand of cigarette, it's all about image. A society directed by the consumerist imperatives of global capitalism is driven by images with a vengeance. And these images, pervade especially through the quintessential image-producing medium television, must change constantly in order to create and sustain an insatiable desire for more consumerist goods and reach the ultimate goal of economic abundance. In a culture of captive, captured imaginations, we need a Christian imagination in the arts and in the neighborhood activism that will set captives free, especially when they become comfortable in their captivity. And I would suggest that today, that as we come around this table, this is what stops us being comfortable in our captivity. We don't come to a lovely, warm and fuzzy table in a moment or two. We come to a table where someone was prepared to sacrifice their entire lives so that the world would be a different place. So that we would be able to interrupt the world of war with peace. So that we would be able to interrupt the homeless streets of Uganda by taking ten people into your home and looking after them. 
this table is not a nice liturgical thing that we do once a month so that I get to wear a clerical shirt once a month. This is the world from a different angle and perspective. This is the Jesus that we claim to follow. So, very finally, back to Brian's hand. How did he finish his problems with the Bible? Now think about Jesus announcing the arrival of God's kingdom with the proclamation of a counterintuitive beatitudes. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, how was that received? Well, it depends on who's hearing it. The poor Galilean peasant would hear it as good news, gospel, while the Roman in his villa would hear it with a deep suspicion. Claudius might even utter, sounds a bit like socialism to me. And that's the challenge I face in reading the Bible. I'm not the Galilean peasant. Who am I kidding? I'm the Roman in his villa and I need to be honest about it. I too can hear the gospel of the kingdom as good news because it is good news. But first I need to admit its radical nature and not try to tame it to endorse my inherited entitlement. Let me read those last words again. I need to admit its radical nature and not try to tame it to endorse my inherited entitlement. Do not be conformed. Be transformed. I am, he says, a relatively wealthy white American male, which is fine, but it means I have to work hard at reading the Bible right. I have to see myself basically as aligned with Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, and Caesar. In that case, what does the Bible ask of me? What does the Bible ask of us? Voluntary poverty? Not necessarily, he says. But certainly the Bible calls us to deep humility. A humility demonstrated in the hospitality and generosity, and I'm paraphrasing, that we read in Romans 12 today. There's nothing necessarily wrong with being a relatively well-off white American male. But I better be humble. I better be hospitable. And I better be generous. I have a problem with the Bible. But all is not lost. I just need to read it standing on my head, preferably without my underpants on. I need to change my perspective. If I can expect that the Bible is trying to lift up those who are unlike me, then perhaps I can read the Bible right. Romans chapter 12 was the reading that um, Prince William and Catherine had at their wedding. And I was really touched by that reading from a future king of empire. Because in that reading, he got to that subversive renewing of your mind. He got to that place where he said, we need to be able to be those who will stoop down to befriend the lowly around us. Ancient Egyptians, comfortable Babylonians, Romans in a month. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that our minds might begin to live what we're about to live out in a moment or two. Let's pray together.
Lord, we have to confess, at least I do, that I'm comfortable in my comfort. And I'm comfortable talking about radical things. You call us to more than knowing the scriptures. You call us to more than being transformed just within. You call us to go and to live this renewed kingdom in the world we live in. So help us, help us to see this word of yours as it is, not just from where we read it. And as we come to this table now, we pray that it would stand against all the other images of our week, that we might get an image of who Jesus is, Prince of Peace, Saviour, Messiah, the one who was humble to be a servant and obedient to death on a cross, and who calls us to follow him. May it be so. In Jesus' name. Amen.